You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. You can learn more at cbmw.org. The Nashville Statement is a confessional document released by CBMW in 2017. Since its release, the Nashville Statement has been signed by over 25,000 evangelical pastors, scholars, and leaders, as well as adopted and affirmed by evangelical churches and institutions across the world. In this podcast series, we are walking through each of the 14 articles of the Nashville Statement as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications with Denny, who is one of the statement's principal authors. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I am the President of CBMW. We've been going through the Nashville Statement released in 2017, which contains 14 articles, affirmations, and denials. And today we are on Article 3. Here's what it says. It says, We affirm that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings, in His own image, equal before God as persons, and distinct as male and female. Denny, help us uh, understand what we're trying to get at in Article 3 of the Nashville Statement. Well, again, as we've said before in previous episodes, it is so important to understand that all of this is a consequence of God's creation. So we're really concerned about created order because you know, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves, the psalmist says. So we, we're not interested in constructing our own human identity, our own way of being human. We want to know what God has revealed about what it means to be one of his image bearers. So we're not a self-constructed people. We are God-constructed people. And so this says, it starts off just by saying, God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the Bible being the first two human beings. And so if you remember in the creation account, you actually have two um, complementary creation accounts, one in Genesis 1, one in Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, it says that God created man in his own image. In his own image, he created him, male and female, he created them. We just learned that right there that God made a man and a woman, and they came in, you know, the first human beings were in two distinct genres, male and female. That's all we know there from, from Genesis 1. If all we had was Genesis 1, you would think that they were all made at once and, you know, that there was no names. But when you turn out turn to Genesis 2, you find out a little more detail about how all of this unfolded, and you find out that God created, first of all, the man, and his name is Adam in Hebrew, which we obviously say in English is um, uh, Adam, right? But it's, it's, it's a sign of the fact that he was taken from the ground, Adamah. Adam is, is, is the one that God made from, from the ground and formed into his own image, and then he takes... Um, he puts Adam to sleep, and then he forms the woman from Adam's side. He takes a rib from his side, and then he makes the woman, and she is given the name Eve. So God created Adam and Eve, and in this original setting, there's no sin in the world. Nothing's broken. Everything works. Everything is right and good. And what is the situation in that original pristine setting? You've got one man, one woman in a covenanted union for life. And so all of the norms that you see attached to marriage in Genesis 1 and 2 will be perfect. There won't be any flaws in it. And so they're going to set the stage for what God intends for marriage to be after that. And so the, the article says, God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings in his own image. 
which means, and I'll let you, I'd love to hear you weigh in on, on what image means, but it, it's the most simplest way to say it is they were made to reflect God. Um, to be created in God's image means they are reflecting God, and it's unique because none of the other creatures that are made are said to be in his image, which means they don't, um, you know, all creation reflects the glory of God, but there's something special about human beings and their ability to image forth who God is that the other creatures can't do. Yeah, I think a, a study on the Christian concept, the biblical concept of image is just fascinating to reflect on. Um, I think uniquely, this is what Christianity brings to the world to ground human dignity. The fact that we are like God, uh, unlike any other uh, aspect of creation, we being both the man and the woman created in God's image. I think there's a rational component to that. I think there's a spiritual component to that. Obviously, non-bodily, God does not have a body uh, like men, as our catechism Would you say affirm. there's a functional com- component to that Functional as well? component, that's right. That they're both called to rule and have dominion over creation, which kind of presumes the faculties that enable that, you know, which is the, the reason and will, you know, faculties that you don't see in in other creatures. And so human beings are uniquely imaging God. And then, it, of course, in their ruling and reigning, it seems like that's the real focus there in, in Genesis 1, is that he wants them to have dominion and to subdue the earth. That's right. And I think if you, again, just reflect on it uh, for any moment of time, you realize that it's our being created in the image of God that truly grounds our our dignity as male and as female. What sets us apart from the animal world? It's the image. You lose the image, the, the Christian teaching of the image of God, you lose human dignity. And I think that's what we're seeing, uh, certainly in the modern West today, around unborn life, um, around uh, end-of-life questions. All of those certainly come to play, but this is a a true and a, and a much-needed affirmation of both male and female, Adam and Eve, the first human beings, and then those, every one of their offspring, all created in the image of God. And I think the, the way the statement goes on to say, equal before God as persons, that is what grounds our equality, the fact that we are created in God's image. Nothing else but that fact that we are created in His image. Oh, that's right. That's why you see in the Bible that there's not uh, one punishment for killing a man and a different punishment for killing a woman. Um, you, what you see in Genesis 9 is that uh, if, um, if anyone sheds man's blood uh, by man, his blood will be shed. In other words, a lot of people see that as the, the foundation of human government. Uh, but what you see there is that um, a, an explicit grounding of human dignity in the image of God. Because it says that the reason that a person would forfeit their life after having taken another image bearer's life is because they bear the image of God, and God's image is so precious, there is an inherent worth and dignity just in that. And here's the thing. The statement says that Adam and Eve, the first human beings, were made in his image equal before God as persons. What that means is is that both Adam and Eve equally bear the image of God. It's not like the man has more of the image and the woman has less of the image. No, they they equally bear the image of God. And I think, contra some theologians um, like Karl Barth and others, who say the image is only completed when a man and woman come together. I don't think that's the case. I think that um, a, a man individually bears the image of God no more or less than a woman individually bears the image of God. And their worth and dignity are grounded in that image. 
I think of Article Three in some ways as the complementarian article. Uh, but can you speak to could an egalitarian affirm and sign the Nashville statement? They could have. They could affirm this. Okay, this is something that whether you're a complementarian or egalitarian, every all of us agree that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings, in His own image, equal before God as persons. And to a certain extent, they would probably agree with the next um, phrase. I would hope so. And distinct as male and female, male and female understood as you know the biological difference between um, a man and a woman. I, th- I think all you know, egalitarians would, uh, would agree with that. So I don't think you have to be a complementarian to, to affirm this affirmation here in, in article three, you could be an egalitarian. And I think we would all agree with that. Yeah. And I love how this article makes the progression from really that focus in Genesis one on equality made in the image of God. And then the difference Genesis two, Adam created first and then Eve out of his side. And the distinction as male and female does not erase or undermine the equality and the equality does not either erase or undermine the distinction. Both of those are true about us as created in God's image. That's right. And in Genesis chapter 1, there's a real accent on what the male and the female have in common. They're both created in His image, and they're both given this task to rule and subdue, have dominion over creation. So they're given this together, and you don't have you know, a ton of emphasis on the differentiation there, except that they're both given this call to, to rule and to reign. Now, you know, because he names them as male and female, and because he says, be fruitful and multiply, that there is a a biological complementarity that's based on a distinction that's, you know, implied there in the text. And of course, if you don't have that difference, if you don't have that distinction between male and female, you don't have procreation. And if you don't have procreation, you don't have the spread of God's image bearers over the face of the earth, subduing the earth. You don't have the, you can't fulfill the mandate without the difference. So you have to have the sameness in his image. And then you have to have the distinction between male and female, both of them without erasing the other. You have to have both of them in order to fulfill a creation mandate. And both are important. And, uh, and again, neither one undermining the other. I think that's what the denial gets to. As we go on in article three, it says we deny that the divinely ordained differences between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. Well, you'll, you'll hear sometimes modern people especially have a problem with this. If you see any distinction between male and female, um, may, uh, really even apart from just the biological distinction, if you see any distinction between male and female flowing from those bodily differences, that's somehow inequality or that somehow erases their equality as image bearers. That's just not what the Bible teaches. It, it holds that you can have d- differences in bodily differences. You can have differences in disposition. Um, it, it, you know, there's, there's material parts of our differences. There are immaterial parts of our differences, and they all kind of come together in the whole human person. And those differences between male and female, I think, are both material and immaterial, and they're they're divinely ordained, and they are celebrated in Scripture. Now, when you start defining those differences, that's where you see the complementarians go in one direction and the egalitarians go in the other direction. So at some point, we're going to do a, a podcast on the Danvers Statement, which gets more into the role differences um, between male and female. This statement doesn't get into those uh, to, to, to any detail. So 
could an egalitarian um, sign on to that? I think they probably could. But once you start defining the differences, especially in the different callings that God puts on a man and a woman's life, that's where complementarians and egalitarians start to have have differences. But those aren't spelled out in the Nashville statement. So you know, it's um, it doesn't surprise me here and there where you hear from maybe an, egal- an egalitarian who says that they pretty much agree with what's affirmed in the statement. So to sum things up, we could almost describe Article 3 as the horse uh, on which we don't want to fall either side. So we want to affirm the equality of male and female, uh, and that equality is, is, does not undermine the differences. And I think on both sides, there are errors, right? So if you don't affirm the, the full equality of men and women in dignity and, and worth before God as persons, uh, you have hyperpatriarchy, you have misogyny, you have women as construed as less than men, ontologically somehow. Uh, whereas on the other side, you have this radical equality and also what kind of uh, lends itself to this interchangeability that we see shot through our culture today, where you can somehow have men and women being interchangeable in marriage, men and women being interchangeable in the locker room, men and women being interchangeable in on the sports field. Uh, and that's what we see when we don't affirm either side of those uh, those affirmations here in the national statement. Or interchangeable as spouses. You could have a man and a woman, or you could have a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. You know, th- in other words, that itself is a, is a denial of these necessary complement, complementary distinctions between male and female. And so all of this is certainly uh, falls under this article number three. So the affirmation that God created Adam and Eve, first human beings, in his own image, equal before God as persons— but yet distinct as male and female. It is good, and it is good for us. Anything to add, Denny? No, I, uh, I think that th- that about sums it up. The only other thing that I would say is that last denial, that the divinely ordained differences between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. We just want everybody to know that to affirm human dignity means that you you can't fail to recognize that male and female are both totally equal before God. He loves them both. He redeems them both. He sends Jesus to um, to save us. He died on the cross for both men and women. He is raised from the dead for both men and women. And a man is no more or less saved than a woman is once he trusts in Christ. And a woman is no more or less saved than a man is once she trusts in, in Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28 that we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither male nor female. So we have a created equality, but there's a redemptive equality that we have. The Bible says in um, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 that um, women are co-heirs of the grace of life with their husbands. So there's, there's all this accent on equality, all of that grounded in the fact that we're all image bearers. So that's the only thing I would add. That's much longer than I thought I was going to say, but I wanted to add that. No, that's great. I think a recovery uh, of a robust teaching and proclamation confession, the fact that we are created male and female in the image of God, would see uh, great strides toward recovering uh, human flourishing as male and female. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.